The true measure of any society is how it treats its most vulnerable members. Most people will go through a tough time or crisis in their life or know someone around them who does. On the show today, we will be speaking to the caring, amazing social worker Lulu Nurienda. She is on the front line, empowering her clients to get through their crisis, seeing many patients with mental health problems, self-harm, suicide, family violence, addiction, homelessness. How does she empower these patients? And if we are going through a tough time, what simple exercises can we do to get through? If you know someone who could benefit, what services are out there? Hey everyone, this is the Health Network Podcast. It's a space to connect all different health professionals to provide the best possible care for our patients. It's also a podcast to empower listeners to prevent health problems. And I'm your host, Dr. Marcus. So, Lulu, how did you become a social worker? Well, I actually fell into this um, field, into this industry. I was working in the events industry as an event manager and doing marketing and comms as well for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then I just wasn't feeling fulfilled. Like I got bored with it and just Mm -hmm. also felt like it wasn't as rewarding. So, you know, did a bit of soul searching, um, trying to figure out what area I want to get into. And then, um, and then from that, I got into kind of fundraising events and wanted to work more for charities as opposed to the private sector, as I felt that was more rewarding. And whilst working for various charity organisations like Cancer Council and Kathy Freeman Foundation and was the mission, I realised that I wanted to be more on the front line as opposed to just doing um, the fundraising, the head office sort of things, the fundraising marketing side. I wanted to be more on, the, more on the front line and working in the programs. And I went back to uni to do my master to study my master's in criminology. Because I've always been passionate about the criminal justice system. And whilst I was studying, I developed my interest in youth justice, as I felt like that's where you can make a difference with young people before they become adult prisoners. Yeah. And then I was looking at different programs and stuff that I wanted to work in because I still wasn't sure. And I'd heard a lot about Jesuit social services and sort of programs they do and started working like casually for a couple of years. And then, yeah, and then just worked, started working full time and working with young people in the youth justice system and helping them out, integrate back into the community and that sort of thing. And yeah, that's how I fell into it, really. <laughs> it must be both yeah, challenging and also rewarding. A hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a it's a very challenging role mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything. No day is the same. You just never know what you're going into and you're working with people and working with people with lots of complex issues. Mm. So, you know, you do tend to take all that on board and it's, yeah, it's very challenging, but it's also super rewarding. Like all the good, all the good things that happen and the positive impacts I have on the young kids outweigh all the crazy challenges that 
I have. So yeah, it's definitely rewarding when you can see that you're making a difference or when the young person, you know, turns around and says, you know, like, thank you. And, you know, thanks for helping me out, that sort of thing. And or you yeah. can see how much they've grown and flourished. Mm. And for people who don't know that much about the um, role of the social worker, what would you, what is the role of the social worker and what is the particular area that you look at? Oh, the role of the social worker, it's basically, I guess, just providing support to people and whether it's, you know, emotional support, it's different from a counsellor and psychologist. So I think a lot of people always think it's, um, they're all the same, but it is quite different because you're not actually dealing with behavioural problems or the psychology of why they behave the way they behave, that sort of thing, where a social work is just more providing, I guess, the, like, you know, all the just... I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's just providing support and help yeah. and helping just people yeah. with the variety of the issues. So it's sort of like the front line, would you say? Definitely front line. Yeah. Definitely yeah. front line, yeah. And I work with um, young people in the youth justice system. So it's young people that are out on bail conditions that are in the criminal justice system and youth justice system and helping them integrate back into the community. So providing support for them in the community and you know, and that can range from, you know, giving them some independent living skills and mentoring, like being a mentor to them and, you know, helping them with like, you know, sort of any issues that come up. A lot of them have like anxiety, a lot of trauma issues and helping them, you know, find jobs, linking them to different other services that can help with like jobs and school, that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, yes, cool. And so if there is someone who is having a lot of troubles with depression or a whole lot of issues at home, or then how would they seek help? And Or if you know someone who has a lot of problems, like how would I um, refer them to you? There's different ways that mm-hmm. you can. Um, I guess it, because there's so many different types of social work that that focus on different needs Mm. and different um, profiles of people and groups of people. So I guess it first, I guess it's identifying what sort of needs you do have um, and whether you also, like if you are suffering from things like anxiety and depression, yes, there are different sort of, there are different services that can help. I guess with my industry, it's it's a lot of referrals that are made through other different services. So ours might be through the government services, you know, I guess with people, like depending on their circumstances, situation, it could be through their local government, local council. It could be through their employment or through their housing, if they've got housing issues as well, if they're, you know, unemployed, that sort of thing. Or it could just be, you know, just a simple, you know, Google search as well. That helps. But with our program, like, where referrals usually made through the government, so through, like, Department of Justice. Mm. And so the young people, so then they do an assessment and they identify what sort of issues that, you know, each young person has. And then they're referred to us and we 
along with the other support services we help them with, you know, their issues that they do have. But um, yeah, definitely lots of trauma mm. is involved. Yeah. And at the moment with um, the COVID lockdowns, are you seeing a lot more patients? Yes. I will, like we have set clients that we're assigned um, so we don't overload in our caseload because it is a very emotional taxing job as well mm. and you know we're at risk of burnout so it's important mm. to make sure that we're not overloaded with clients but I have definitely seen an increase in clients and my clients needs and an increase in them seeking me out because with my job usually I just see them once a week depending on their conditions it's usually once a week um, and doing different activities with them and that sort of thing. But, yeah, definitely during lockdown, especially this more recent lockdown, my clients have been calling me a lot more. Mm. So just not just even just like I have set days that I see them and they'll just be even calling me. Like they know the days and hours that I work. Sometimes I, I turn on my phone and I've had missed calls and messages from my days off. But, mm. yeah, they are definitely seeking me out a lot more. Mm. And all very different, all very, very different. Like some are seeking out help, like, you know, because they uh, like financial help because of the situation of COVID and lockdown. They can't work or they need more money to be able to do grocery shopping and, you know, support and help out their families. And then you've got some that are feeling very isolated and more depressed and their anxiety levels are up so they're needing yeah. more connection mm. need more connection yeah yeah it is quite a yeah socially isolated sort of time when people can't go out and catch up with all their friends yeah yeah and what kind of problems do you usually see in your patients that there's depression anxiety we touched on and then also yeah. it could be um is that, do you see domestic violence and other? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Family violence. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of family violence. Probably, probably about half, mm. half of my caseload. If I'm just looking at my caseload, I know more my mm. colleagues, it's a lot more, but half my caseload, there is some sort of family violence, whether that is partner or whether that is a parent. And... I have had situations twice where I've been called by my young person um, asking me for help, asking me to remove them from the house. Because a lot of my a lot of my clients are very young as well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I work with young people, so you know my eldest is like eighteen or nineteen, um, mm -hmm. but the average age they're probably like fifteen, sixteen. So. Yeah, so I've had calls where, you know, they're, you know, blowing up my phone and calling me constantly and mm. screaming in the background. So very, mm. very intense situations yeah. I've been in. And, yeah, another one where I've had to, like, put her into a hotel room because of a partner. Mm. And that was really intense. And it, was, and it can be hard when shops are closed and locked down because there's only, because when you're taking a young person from a very unsafe situation um, where there's family violence involved and you're putting them in another accommodation, like, you know, you need to get things like toiletries, clothing, 
you know, that sort of thing. And that can be really challenging when you can't just walk into a Kmart and mm. do that. Everything's click and collect. And as we all know, click and collect, it's not straight away. It's hours away. So there's been a lot of challenges dealing with some very intense situations in lockdown with my young people. And then if a listener was to have like anxiety or there was domestic violence or if a listener knows someone, mm-hmm. then yeah, how would how would um how would you recommend they like recommend to see like a social worker? Is it um it could be like difficult to like express it to them. Yeah. Someone needs that support. Yeah. Yeah. There's two ways you could go about it. You could either, you know, there are different support services that deal with either anxiety and depression or or domestic and family violence, you know, whether it's like Orange Doors one um, that deals with that. And, you know, you've got, you know, Headspace, like you've got, there's there's different, um, you know, organisations and stuff. So there's just two ways. It's either like giving a list to your friend and saying Mm. like, he like I'm concerned mm. your situation you know here are some numbers that I think you should call you know I guess it's having that difficult conversation and yeah once we have that conversation make sure it's coming from a place of love and concern and you mm. know I'm concerned for you and yeah. I just want you to know that you know there is ways that you can get help there is ways that you know you can get support and it it, it is yeah I guess it's it's doing that way and just saying like you know I guess identifying what the issues are and then seeing what services are out there and showing that to your friend or it could be as well and I've done this personally as well as professionally is actually calling up these services directly Mm. so you can call like the organization I work for Jesuit social services yeah you can call you know um, Orange Door which deals with domestic violence can call you know headspace on behalf of someone else Mm. and I guess it's having that conversation with them and getting advice on what to do next or if it is a really serious concern like just kind of like saying like you know can you give my friend a call because again people don't like asking for help yeah Um, you know they they have a lot of pride and ego shame there's there's a lot of shame involved Mm. Well, and I see that a lot with my clients, a lot of shame, embarrassment, feel like it's a sign of weakness, especially with my young boys that I work with. And I guess it's getting past that stigma. And sometimes I guess it's like just doing the work for them and getting someone to give them a call. Mm. But again, you know, making sure you're not crossing those boundaries. And yeah. Yeah. And maybe sometimes just like planting the seed and just yeah yeah knowing what's out there what support services are out there and then they can always call yeah 100 100 it is letting them know that there are services out there and they can get help and then that they aren't alone you know and as well depending on their situation as well like it's they could also benefit from like a group work. Mm. You know, there are services where it's like group. I do individual support. Mm. The organisation I work for, you know, there's also group programs and there's other support services that I work with because we work with other stakeholders. 
that do group work. Some people feel like they can open up if it is a group of mm. people that are in the same or similar situation. Okay. Yeah. But then some people prefer that one-on-one individual, you know, mm. like I see with my clients, um, especially my young boys, mm-hmm. definitely my young boys, they thrive and benefit more and there's more of an impact when it's one-on-one as yeah. opposed to a group because they don't have to like show off to all the yeah. or like okay. put on a bravado, but one-on-one, because I see the difference with them mm-hmm. when I see them in a group, even with their siblings, Yeah, how they, they, they do put on like a front, put on a facade, and they're not as open, whereas when I have them one-on-one, they are just like open up Pandora, Pandora's box. They are just opening up to me. Sometimes I have to like be like, all right, like I've got another mm-hmm. client to see, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it just, I guess it's, you know, identifying like what sort of personality that person is, like, you know, your friend is and where they'll probably get more impact and benefit from, whether it's individual, mm-hmm. group, and identifying like what exactly the issue is. Okay. And then how often would you see your patients? See them once a week. Yeah. Yeah, see them once a week. There was some that I was seeing like, it depends on their needs. Like if they've got very <laughs> complex, complex needs, I will see them twice a week. But otherwise, yeah, once a week. And also, depending if they've had a crisis, like if they've had, you know, a family violence crisis or they've had a drug overdose or they've been, you know, a victim of a crime or, you know, various crises that I will ramp up how much, how much, how often I see them. So, and check in on them, you know, regularly. So mm. like, yeah, but otherwise, averagely, I'll see them once a week, whether it's a phone call or whether it's um, seeing them face-to-face. It's a bit mm. tricky with the current situation because they do need connection, but at the same time, we have to, like, protect ourselves, like, you know, because of, you know, COVID and stuff. So it's, and it's also trying to be creative on what we can do with them, given that there is much that we can do. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then we can have a list of the links and like phone numbers in the show notes. Yeah. The different sort of areas of social work and then what numbers people can call. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so how do you um, benefit your patients? Like what kind of techniques, what kind of things do you do with them? It varies because like they're all so different. Like yeah. and that's the beauty of the work that I do, and that's why I love it. Like it's mm. just everyone is completely different, and different personalities and different ways that they respond to, um, you know, activities or to, or to support. Yeah, different ways that they respond to support and stuff. So some of them it might be doing physical activities. So whether it's like going for like um, a walk, like going for like a nice bush walk, getting amongst nature, so getting that grounding happening and also, you know, working up a sweat, so moving all that stagnant energy in their, in their bodies and 
shifting all that trauma and shifting, you know, you know, the anxiety and all that sort of thing and, you know, increasing their endorphins and stuff. So, yeah, so it could be like physical activity. So like, you know, nature walks, shooting hoops. And that's also a great way to have conversations with them. Yeah. Because you, you're do, you're being distracted by an activity, as opposed, I find that is more. I get more out of the young people, and that helps them more than if I was just to sit down and just chat. Mm. It's like good to have something else going on or happening, or like doing something. So you know, there's that. Some of them like talk to them about meditating. You know, whether it is getting on like the Calm app or Insight Timer. Or headspace app um and just giving them like just simple breathing techniques mm. just to so they can brand themselves you sometimes find there's some patients who are quite resistant to that and then they don't really want to do it and then how would you get them to be more involved with your meditation and mindfulness oh yeah look some of them definitely but some of the, and what i do is like i kind of um I, I get them to do some mindfulness activities without them realizing that they're doing uh, it. Yeah. Right. So they might be all like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Yeah. But then um, it might be things. So, you know, the mindfulness would just be lots of like awareness. So I just be like, Oh, look, look at that. Look at, look over there. Look at that horizon. Look at that tree, you know? So then getting them to look at something else yeah, or like touch something, you know, uh, touch a surface, touch something like tactile, you know, music, lots of like sound, sound, you know, and the sound be like, oh, you didn't listen to that beat. Like, even if it's just listening to, you know, rap music or whatever, like I'll get them to really listen to like all the different beats and stuff. And that's all mindfulness. Cause that's all yeah. like distracting them from like what else is going on and actually, you know, that self-awareness and stuff. Mm. Yeah. And some of them, like, if I guess, cause it, it, you have to get to know the young person, know what they're into. Mm. Some of them, are, I know that they're, they like writing, I'll tell them the benefits of journaling and mm. just like, just like, you know, just brain dumping and emptying their mind in their writing, um, whether it's journaling or there's creative writing where it's like, okay, you know, why don't you channel all this anger and frustration and anxiety and stuff into creative writing and some of them, you know, write really good raps and poems and stories and stuff. Yeah. So I guess it's, 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 it's finding things that they already like to do or they're interested in and applying different mindfulness techniques to help them. Mm. Realising it. <laughs> good. And then what happens if a patient is like having a crisis and it's like whether domestic violence or something they're very like very stressed and then how can you like allow them to be more comfortable yeah that's a tricky one like I'll use an example of a recent one that I had that I had a young person having suicidal thoughts mm -hmm. and saying some really dark and disturbing things to me where I was very concerned with they were like you know what I just can't wait to die and you know life will be better off without me and I wish it was me in that car like just like saying some really like dark and disturbing things and mm -hmm. crying and everything so that was challenging because you get trained on how to 
management to health and crisis management and suicide tendency mm -hmm. ideation sorry suicide ideation and stuff but when you're actually in the situation sometimes it's like you forget everything you learn mm. so and then it's just remembering what to um say and so I guess in that sort of situation like you know I let them say what they have to say let them talk and it's important what words you use like you know you can't discount their feelings and you know it's important not to be like don't say that don't do that don't 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 because that's not going to help mm -hmm. the situation so things like that I remind them of their good qualities so I was just like you know I'd say things like no I'd miss you like you're amazing you're so mm. funny like mm. I would really really miss you and I can't, that would make me really upset and sad and like you have a lot of potential and I really care about you and you you know you're such a kind-hearted person you're generous you make people laugh you know so I guess it's just reminding them of all their good qualities because mm. in that moment they're just thinking dark mm. thinking of the worst so it was a lot of rem reminding them of all their good qualities asking questions as well so to be like you know what you know like why are you feeling this way what has you know have you felt this way before so just asking those you know curious questions getting curious about where it's all coming from mm. and then they'll be able to express themselves more reminding them their good qualities and then future planning like just kind of being like okay next weekend let's do this like next weekend let's go Let's go for a drive and go to Werribee Gorge, you know. So it's the future planning. So then mm -hmm. they, you, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And then that changes their mindset and hopefully gives them, you know, hope and changes their mind on wanting to end their life. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, and just touching base with them and just making sure, like in that situation, take them to a friend's house where they'll be, cause I'll be like, where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? Like, who do you want to be with right now? Mm -hmm. And take them to a friend's place and where they feel safe. And um, that's pretty much how I handle a crisis. <laughs> and so how do you like empower your patients? I suppose you don't want, you'd rather the patients like develop all these skills. So then when they're in those stressful situations, they can eventually like manage them. Yeah. Themselves independently. Yeah. And yeah. What, how do you allow them to be empowered to be in a more positive space? Yeah. I guess it is reminding them of how, how much they've achieved. Hmm. So looking you know, looking at like how much they've achieved, how far they've come um, and reminding them of that and getting them to remind themselves of that when they are in a situation or where they are feeling stressed or what have you, just um, looking at like all their good qualities, what they've done so far, the positive things that are in their lives. So I guess that does, you know, that does, you know, empower them as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's those are the main things really. Yeah. yeah. And then you mentioned, yeah, the journaling and meditation, yeah. exercise, a lot of the healthy habits. 
yeah, all the healthy habits, getting creative, you know, doing something creative. Yeah, I guess as well, and you know, just with my roles, I was just showing them different activities, like opening up their minds more. So that they're not just like trapped in their heads or in their world and think like that's what the world is, you know, just exploring their minds more like showing them positive activities that doesn't involve taking drugs so they numb out or drinking or partaking in other risky behaviour. So, you know, things like like I took a couple of kids to go play pool and, you know, some of them have never really, they hadn't played pool for like, so long and you know things like that or like showing them like kind of more cultural events and yeah just reminding them that there's a whole big world out there and it's a very interesting world Mm. yeah and how do you integrate with other health professionals do you sometimes get referrals from other health professionals and do you refer to other health professionals as well yeah, so usually in terms of health professionals, it would be like um, psychologists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're working with psychologists where they will give us information on their mental health status or any sort of diagnosis they might have. So whether it is like borderline personality or ADD or something, so then that helps me as well, like, with certain behaviours of theirs and just knowing like, oh, that is attributed to their um, diagnosis, to their borderline personality or to their um, ADD or whatever it is. So working together, so then knowing what sort of activities or or ways that I can support them that will um, complement, will complement them, will complement the um, other services, like the other stakeholders. Oh yeah, yeah, good. And then what is the future of social work? Where is it heading and um, what can we do to provide better care for these patients in need? Future of social work. I feel given the current climate we're in and the ripple effect, um, yeah, I feel like there's there's a a much higher need for social work Mm -hmm. and I can see it um, being integrated with other different services as well, um, where some other services will not just be providing, like, say, housing. It will be integrating social work with the housing as well, like helping, you know, families, young people find housing, that sort of thing. I feel like social work is going to be integrated in a lot of different supports and services that are available now because a lot of people are suffering, a lot of people are hurting, a lot of people are suffering and it's having different effects on them and, and it's affecting different areas of their life. Yeah. Mm. So it seems very important. It yeah. seems very important with the criminal justice system. That yeah. We don't want yeah prisoners to like, keep committing crimes and we want them yeah. to the community. Yeah, and we want to help them. We want to provide, like, I, I feel like locking people up isn't helping them. Like, we need to actually get to the core of the problem and the issue of, like, why they are in these cycles. And that's where social work comes in a lot because mm-hmm. it's helping them integrate back into the community, helping them find solutions to their 
issues and problems that they do have like is it, is it mental problems is it housing is it financial is it trauma um is it you know and i think that's what's important and i see i see more of that focus in rehabilitating offenders in that way mm-hmm. yeah in that kind of more holistic way yeah, yeah. And it seems like it's yeah very important the social worker as like a front line to be able to screen for um, all these issues, whether it's like psychology or whether it's um, domestic violence or can be all these different issues. And then you can also yeah, help refer them where they need to go. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's definitely like it's yeah, it's definitely assessing them. That's what we do with like my clients. Like mm. as soon as we get them, we assess them and see, okay, where where are the gaps? Where else do the what other services and support mm. do they need? You know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, I'm quite interested in the nutrition and like sugar and things like that. And then there's also now like some links about mental health with like gut health. So then oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting that potentially maybe if um, patients have more like probiotics and like less sugar, then that could also benefit their mental health. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Don't they say the guts, the like second brain? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that we do promote in our organization is healthy eating yeah. and, and stuff as well. Like these young kids always want to have like, this is Macca's, let's get Macca's, let's get KFC. And it's just like, nah. So just, um, not encouraging them or promoting them to eat yeah fast food and stuff like when we do activities and i do get them food it is um providing healthy food basically yeah mm. and it's tricky policies yeah tricky because a lot of the cheaper foods are very high in sugar and like processed mm. and often those people can yeah have mental health problems as well Oh, 100%. 100%. It definitely exacerbates their mental health issues. And that's the annoying thing is because fast food is so cheap and mm. all my clients, all of them are all from very, very low socioeconomic backgrounds, like very, very low. Some of them lower than others. And, you know, and they've got to feed themselves or feed the families and that. Mm. It's easier for them to, you know, get a family pack from KFC. I don't know if that still exists, but, you know, like, <laughs> and as opposed to like, oh, no, 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 let's, let me, I can't even really get much healthy food, like takeaway. Yeah. Um, and, 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 if, and if you, and if you can, it's usually a lot more expensive. Like it's so cheap, like um, junk food. So, mm. so cheap. And some of them don't, and, and I guess that's where I also come in teaching the young people skills on how to cook. Like, yeah, that's what, I, and that's something I've done with some of my young people is oh, yeah. cool. help them cook. Like, going for a shop and going, no, 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 let's let's go for a shop, get the ingredients, and then go and um, like you know, and then go back home to their home or to their housing and cook together. And it's just like, you know, you know what's actually going in and what you're eating because you're cooking it yourself and also gives them that skill because a lot of them they're going to be more inclined to get what's quick and easy Mm. 
And do you see a lot of people who maybe they're on the phones all the time or on the computer all the time and then they have like a dopamine sort of addiction and then it's probably not very healthy for being aware of their emotions when they're constantly on the go? Yeah, 100%, 100%. And especially like with my young kids, they all, well, not all, but most of them addicted to like video games, so the mm. online online gaming. Mm. Yeah, so they're just constantly will be on that till I've got a couple of young people that'll be playing till like four or five in the morning, like ridiculous. Mm. So they have like poor sleeping because then they don't have the um, healthy sleeping habits and um, then they're also just so consumed in that that they're, they're numbing themselves basically in yeah. the computer games and stuff. Mm. Yeah, and that definitely takes a toll on their mental health because then they're not really facing, I was going to swear, facing <laughs> their stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I suppose it's good when they're young to be aware of like all of these influences before they become like really addicted to gaming or before oh, they become alcoholics or, yeah. 100%. Like, I wish I knew what I, I wish I knew back then what I know now. Mm. You know? Like, you know, I've gone through so, and I, I can relate to these kids as well because mm. like, I see, you know, me in them, you know, like I've gone, I've done a lot of stuff. I've gone through a lot of things. I've had lots of trauma and the way that I've dealt with it has not been healthy. Mm. And it's only probably, you know, in the last 10 years or more so the last five years, actually really diving deep and, focusing on my health and whether it's my mental health and whether it's like physical health and gut health and all that sort of thing. Mm. And I'm like, I wish I'd known all of this, you mm. know, as a teenager and, and dealt with it. And then I'd be like even more thriving, you mm. know, at my age. That's why I'm so passionate about young people because mm. like you can help them while they're still young. So then they don't grow into alcoholics, abusers, mm. you know, can break that cycle. Um, yeah. you know, drug addicts or whatever, or homeless. Yeah, and I just feel, um, that's why I feel like intervening at such a young age is just like so vital because it can just make a massive difference, can have a massive impact because they don't have those role positive role models as well. So, And do you think maybe... In, at schools, the kids should be taught this at like a young age, a lot of these skills. 100%. 100%. I have a lot of uh, opinions on the school mm -hmm. curriculum because um, <laughs> I just feel like the thing that they teach you, it's not life skills and yeah. it's not coping skills. And I think it should be part of the curriculum. Like they really should be teaching mindfulness. Mm. They should be teaching... Like, yeah, you do sport and stuff, which is great. And I love that. And I was very into my sports and that really helped me, you know, mm. as well. But in terms of, like, emotional and mental stuff, like, it should be, shouldn't be such a stigma around it. Mm. And it definitely be taught in schools as young as, like, kindergarten and prep and stuff, you know. Mm. I know some schools do. I know there's some schools they do you know, like yoga and, you know, they'll do like meditating, 
they'll incorporate that, but it should be mandatory, all these skills, because it will really help them in the real world. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, that's really cool, Lulu. You've really opened my eyes to the world of social work, and it's really cool how you can make such a difference with a lot of the younger kids out there. And yeah, it's great everything you've got to say. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for um, giving me this platform to talk to you about this sort of work. Um, I think it's really important mm. um, that you know people hear more about what is actually involved, and it's not that scary, and it's not daunting, and that it actually is impactful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You are doing their masters in criminology, and then you're just about finished. And what's your plan for the future? Oh, the million oh, yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Because the thing is, I never thought I'd be doing this sort of mm-hmm. social work. I thought I'd be doing more the criminal justice mm-hmm. side, like working for Department of Justice or something, yeah. you know? or working for ASIO or federal police or some, you know, like I never thought I'd actually be getting into this side of we get into this sort of industry where I'm actually helping young people do more social work. And, yeah, as I'm doing my criminology, you know, like I'm like, all right, I just want to finish it. And I still want to continue doing this. I want to stay on this trajectory of, like, helping young people. Like, it would be great to have, like, my own program where I do help young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't want to reveal too many details because I don't want anyone to take my um, <laughs> my plans and to take my ideas. But there are a couple of things that are ticking in my mm-hmm. head that I I can see where there's gaps. Yeah. So I want to work with, like, kids in youth justice, um, mm-hmm. and I can see, I think it's the criminology helps in, like, why they commit crimes. Mm-hmm. Just, like, looking at the sociology and psychology of why they commit crimes and... Mm-hmm. I guess I can apply some sort of program or something that can tackle that. So watch this space. Cool. (laughs) Exciting. Thank you so much, Lily. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. I hope you enjoyed the show. For show notes and to keep up to date with the latest follow the health network podcast on facebook and instagram please consider leaving us a review and share if you know someone that could benefit from this let's unite health professionals and prevent health problems